In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and today I'm really excited about our guest. Without revealing his name, I can tell you that he was recognized today as the U.S. Chief Data Officer of the Year in 2018 by the CDO Club, which is the world's largest community of C-suite digital and data leaders. But I'm going to come back to him in a little bit after we start to introduce our show. So first, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in to us each week. We have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're listening to us for the first time, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what that impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance, generational management, and business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please download this series on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. In this series, you can listen to great advice, leadership success stories, that you can learn from, stories that motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even be the key to your future success. I invite you to contact me. Send me an email at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com and tell me what you would like to hear about. Now, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you tune in to us each week on Tuesdays, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. And we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now, on to today's episode. When the question is asked, and I've heard this quite a bit, when is artificial intelligence, which I'm going to refer to as AI, and big data going to achieve meaningful traction within Fortune Fortune 1000 corporations? But I think the answer to that is, is really it already has. In 2018, New Vantage Partners conducted an annual executive survey around AI and big data. The study was first published in 2012, and it was conducted on 60 Fortune 1000 industry-leading companies with 93% of the survey responses respondents identifying themselves as C-level executive decision-makers. Now, some of the survey participants were companies such as American Express, Capital One, Ford Motors, Goldman Sachs, and so on. But what's interesting is the main findings of the 2018 survey revealed that an overwhelming 97% of the executives reported that their companies are investing in building or launching big data and AI initiatives. Among the surveyed executives, there was a growing consensus that the emerging AI and data initiatives are becoming closely intertwined, with 76% of the executives indicating that the proliferation and the greater availability of data is empowering AI and cognitive initiatives within their organizations. So 
In other words, just to sum that all up, most top executives are now seeing a direct correlation between big data capabilities and AI initiatives. And this is changing not only the way we think about business and do business, but it's changing our lives. I mean, it's changing our lives with the Internet of Things, bridging business initiatives and bringing more and more data into our everyday lives. And one of the companies leading in the way in recognizing, reporting, and participating in AI and big data initiatives is Dun & Bradstreet. And our guest today is responsible for many of the great insights and knowledge that Dun & Bradstreet is providing to companies, governments, and the general public. Our guest today is Dr. Anthony Shifiano, and he is the chief data scientist from Dun and Broadstreet. He's an internationally recognized data scientist with experience spanning over 35 years in multiple industries. He has extensive background in anomaly detection, computational linguistics, and advanced algorithms, leveraging leveraging all those all that knowledge and background as a primary inventor on multiple patents worldwide. As I mentioned before, he was recently recognized as the U.S. Chief Data Officer of the Year in 2018 by the CDO Club, the world's largest community of C-suite digital and data leaders. He is routinely invited to provide thought leadership for senior executives and high-level government officials globally. Recently, he briefed the U.S. National Security Telecommunications Advisory Committee and contributed to three separate reports to the president on big data analytics and emerging technologies. He provides expert advice in the private sector to a group of, of chief data officers and also to the White House Office of Science and Technology. He has also advised or served as a forum panelist abroad, including being a speaker at the World Internet Conference in China. And he's been published or quoted in various publications, including Forbes, Insights, Business Insider, Information Week, PC Week Russia, Taiwan News, Bangkok Post, Mint in India, and many others. So welcome to the show, Anthony. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much, Kimberly. It's great to be here with you today. Okay. So can I just start out with a really simple question? Okay. Um, we are just overwhelmed with data today. And sometimes we don't know where it comes from. Because, I mean, in the old days, for example, if you had a telephone book, you knew the data in the telephone book came from the telephone company. Um, but it's, it's not always that transparent today. Uh, you know, how do we get a grip on that? Do, are we ever going to know where it's coming from? Well, it's not a simple question at all, unfortunately. <laughs> so even that data in the telephone book sometimes came from the account holder. Sometimes it came from an agent of the account holder. Maybe it was copied from last year's telephone book. You really don't know. You know where you got it from in terms of the publication of the document. But what we call the authoritative source, the original place where that data was born, is, is even a little bit foggy in something as simple as a telephone book, arguably not that foggy. Uh, but now we live in, a, in an age where data begets data, where the amount of data that's being created on earth is arguably changing at a rate we can't even measure anymore. So that's not a small question at all. There's a lot of nuance in this. If you think about even a phone book, 
Where does that information come from? It doesn't come from the phone company. The phone company gets it from their subscribers, and their subscribers may or may not tell the truth. They may or may not tell the whole truth. They may, may tell something that isn't exactly nothing but the truth. Uh, so there's issues there with what we call veracity of data. But in today's world, we have many more Vs in big data. So we've got the variety of data. We've got the volume of data. We've got the velocity of change. We've got the value of that, cha- that data to a particular problem. All these things are changing at a rate that is arguably unmeasurable anymore. So anybody that's trying to use data today is faced not with finding needles in haystacks, but finding needles in stacks of needles. There's so much data out there that it's a question of focusing on the right data for the question you're asking, which is a much bigger problem than where do you find any data at all. Mm-hmm. And, and when you talk about fo- focusing on the right data, I mean, how do you even begin to do that in, in these, these massive amount of data? So there's different kinds of data. Not all, not all data is created equal. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the simplest way to think about data is structured data versus unstructured. So structured data comes with an ontology, with a dictionary. We know it's in rows and columns, for example. We know that this is a name. This is a phone number. This is an address. Unstructured data might be a whole collection of information that was brought to you without such a description of what it contains. So you have a bunch of numbers and words and letters and and maybe you have sound, maybe you have video, and you don't necessarily know what you're looking at. You have data at rest, which is kind of not changing while you're looking at it. You have data in motion, which is changing while you're looking at it. So we have ways of categorizing data, and then there are different treatments for these different categorizations. That's the first step. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and, and that would be the first step for for businesses okay who who want to you know find their way and and analyze and and isolate certain data but um if you're talking about just a general consumer i mean this is quite overwhelming isn't it i mean we're we're yeah we're Im- yeah. bombarded with data i mean so how do we begin to trust what what we're getting or what we're seeing is real yeah i would actually say even for businesses that they shouldn't start mm-hmm. with the data they should start with some kind of a question or a problem and it's the same thing with people. If you jump right to the tools, right to the data, you're probably going to find what you think you're going to find. You'll validate your own bias. Um, so you always want to start with some kind of a question or a problem and then ask yourself the question, why would this be the right data to answer that question? That's generally speaking a really good piece of advice. Lead with a question. Don't lead with a mm-hmm. data set or a tool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you think this this whole massive amount of data? I mean, so much has changed in five years, okay, or ten years. Do you think that the the this is one of the biggest changes, or what do you think the biggest change in the has been in this um, global big data area in the last five years? I, we've reached definitely a point of inflection where it's not about collecting the data, it's about using the data. So we, we work from an assumption now as data scientists that in most cases we can get the data we need. The question is more about uh, what's the analytic approach? What are we going to try to do? You talked about artificial intelligence in your introduction. There's so many different kinds of artificial intelligence. So if, if think about building a house. You don't say, I'm going to use the hammer. You talk about where you're going to put the rooms. You talk about which way the house is going to face. That's what you need to do when you have a, a problem or a question that involves big data and artificial intelligence is to sort of situate yourself in the problem space before you rush into doing stuff with the data. All too often I see that first step 
of rush to the data, and that's really not the right first step. Mm-hmm. Because actually, I, I really like what you said, that there's so much data out there, you can probably validate anything you want to validate. Um, by yeah, it's called confirmation data. bias. It's one of the key <laughs> types of bias in, in data science. Mm-hmm. Okay, can you tell me a little about confirmation bias. So do you see that a lot? or what's, Absolutely, what you, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I see it every day. Um, if you want to believe that there's fake news out there and you go look at things that you don't think are true, you'll believe that they're fake. Some of them are, mm-hmm. some of them aren't. If, mm-hmm. if you believe that uh, airline travel is safe, then you will see information that, that confirms your assumptions that, gee, most people seem to be getting where they're going. If you believe airline travel is unsafe, you're going to notice the 1% of 1% of problems that happen out there. You You tend to find what you're looking for. Some argue that this is how we survived as human beings over time is our ability to see patterns in, in chaos. It's not necessarily a good thing when you're trying to be a scientist. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I can't imagine it'd be a good thing in business either because you could be, yeah. you could be t- sending, you know, making decisions for products or customers and wrong decisions with sure. assumptions. You see that a lot also? Absolutely. The classic example is the, the infamous focus group. You know, we, we had a focus group and we asked, tw- we asked 12 of our customers <laughs> what they thought about how great we are. And, and we're great. You know, I, how do you know it was the right 12 customers? You know, did you ask the question in an open-ended way? Did you understand their answer? Can you compare that answer to some other frame that you want to project it to? Nobody wants to deal with any of that. They want to hear what they want to hear. <laughs> they want to make the decisions. They want to make the decisions, right? right. So, and that focus uh, group confirmed our, our decision. <laughs> so we're going to put this product on the market regardless if somebody wants right. it or not. So, right. So, there you and, go. And, you know, this is where when we talk about this big data, Anthony, you know, I think about big businesses are struggling with this, okay? But even like small SMBs, SMEs are struggling with it. Um, and sure. Is there any difference or is everybody kind of struggling with the, uh, you know, having the same problems, regardless of how big you are, or how small you are? I think the problems are definitely nuanced differently. For large organizations, there mm-hmm. are challenges. For example, how do you, how do you institutionalize knowledge? You're, we're, we're learning about artificial intelligence. How do, do we create the artificial intelligence center of excellence and you need to come to it with your problems? Or do we federate the tools and the platforms and the technology all over the enterprise and let people bring their own problem to the platform? Those are two different extremes of a very big continuum. And, and where you are on that continuum is less important as being there on purpose. In the small enterprise, they're all too often, they're, they're busy trying to make hats or, or, or sell mm-hmm. apples. And, and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden somebody, you know, their phone keeps ringing with somebody that says, I've got this tool for you. You know, just, just buy this tool and put all your data here and push this green button and everything will be great. And, and those folks get overwhelmed with all of the, mm-hmm. the snake oil out there that, you know, it's not ever going to be as simple as just pushing a button. But it might be if all you want to know is who your biggest customers are. So it depends on what kind of questions you're going to ask again. I keep mm-hmm. going back to that. For the small business, it, I think they're being drowned in tools and technology, and they're mm-hmm. feeling increasingly inadequate for not using those tools and technology. And maybe that's the problem. But, you know, I, I have a friend who's a pharmacist that says that, you know, people don't come to the pharmacy because they have an aspirin deficiency. They come because they have a headache. And, <laughs> and you gotta, you got to ask a few questions before you give them that. 
<laughs> that comes back to the question again. So, Anthony, we're going to take it. We're going to take a short break, and 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 uh, when we come back, I want to I want to talk about this a little bit more. I want to talk about like the industries that are really being af- affected the most with these data changes, okay, and um, what those industries are doing and where they are. And for our listeners today, we are talking to. Dr. Anthony Shipiano. He's a senior vice president, chief data scientist at Dunham Bradstreet, and he is an internationally recognized data scientist with experience spanning over 35 years in multiple industries and enterprises. He was recently recognized as the U.S. Chief Data Officer of the Year 2018 by the CDO Club, the world's largest community of C-suite digital and data leaders. He can be reached under LinkedIn under Anthony Schifignano, and under Twitter, under Schifignano1. And I am your host, Kimberly Lewis, leadership and business expert. This uh, this episode is brought to you by Cinda, the search and information industry of Europe. And Cinda will be hosting an annual conference next week, April 10th to 12th, at the Hilton Paddington in London, where we can hear Anthony speak and meet him in person. So if you're interested, please go to www.cinda.com. Dot com events for more information. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. And today we're speaking with 
Dr. Anthony Scrifignano, and he's the Senior Vice President and Chief Data Scientist at Dun & Bradstreet. He's internationally recognized and has experience spanning 35 years. And he was recently recognized as U.S. Chief Data Officer of the Year 2018 by the CDO Club, the world's largest community of C-suite digital and data leaders. Now, Anthony, before we left, we kind of looked at just this whole general hodgepodge of, of big data and everything that's surrounding us. And um, we're talking about big big businesses and small businesses, but there, there are... There are new things emerging in our businesses. There, there are industry sectors such as fintech that are being affected even more. So, can you or new industry sectors such as fintech? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so, there's a lot of new in- industry that is coming of age because of this convergence of data and technology. Fintech, as you mentioned, is one. Fintech isn't really one industry. It's sort of a, a collection of capabilities that are in the financial space and enabled by technology, hence the name. So microfinancing is in the fintech space. Uh, the way that cryptocurrency is used to enable certain types of transactions in the supply chain would be in, in the fintech space and on and on and on. So what, what that means for an industry like banking is, gee, uh, if we don't think about the fintech disruption in the context of what we think a bank is and what banks do, Maybe we won't be doing this anymore, or maybe we'll be doing this in a totally different way to serve totally new customers in a very short time. And by the way, the latter is is a much better way to think about it. Uh, Autonomous devices, the Internet of Things, there are so many capabilities that exist today that we didn't even have language for just a few years ago. If you think about the Internet of Things, it's not really an Internet of Things today. It's an Internet of Things connected to the Internet. It's a bunch of devices and transducers and so forth that connect to applications. But tomorrow, when we have autonomous vehicles and they somehow become part of this Internet of Things, well, maybe they need to make decisions without connecting back to some centralized application or data. So what does that mean? This this disruption disrupts itself, and it will continue to disrupt. And our language to describe it will continue to be insufficient to describe that disruption. And that's the new normal. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about this, I always think of kind of the cart and the horse, okay? So so obviously, this technology and, and this disruption and the uh, are changing behaviors. Um but is it is it really technology changing the behaviors, or is it the old, you know, technology that something was yesterday and then we want something tomorrow because we think it's possible? Or is it behavior changing technology? I mean, how do you see that? So you're you're asking a question that's been around for thousands of years. Um, <laughs> you, you, when we when things, uh, I think uh, Aristotle. I won't get into it, but there's a whole thing about a cart. <laughs> uh, in any event, you know, at what point do you have a new card after you change the wheel and everything? Right. The, the, the difference, I think, with um, where we are today is that we don't use all of the technology or even close to all of the technology before it gets disrupted by some new technology. So look at the space shuttle. I think we used that pretty darn well. It was around for a very long time. The computer capability that was on the space shuttle by the time they retired, it was pretty old-fashioned. And I don't even think there was enough memory on the space shuttle to store one photo that you would store on your on your iPhone, you know, other than mm-hmm. by added equipment and so forth. So uh, obviously continue to innovate on a platform of innovation that was itself revolutionary. But now look at your phone. You get a new mm-hmm. phone, 
when the wind direction changes, and, and no, most people aren't using anywhere near the capability of their phone, what will the phone be like in a couple of years? Will it be more advanced, or will it actually be a simpler device that's more ubiquitous, and it becomes yours with some cloud capability that somehow knows who you are? Probably closer to the second thing. So our mm-hmm. ability to, to evolve to a new innovation is not coming from the fact that we've kind of used up the old one. It's coming from the fact that this disruption begets disruption, and it will continue as such for, for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that really put that really clearly for me. Actually, I can see that, especially when you're talking about the phone, because I don't know half the stuff that's on my phone, to be honest with you. So, And then I just went out and bought a new one. So it's so true. Yeah, there you go. So you Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, with all this dis- disruption also, and especially when you're thinking about fintech, okay, I mean, um, and or which is, as you said, not in the industry, but this this group of, of companies that are evolving out of technology. Um, first, the question is, is there any other, you know, area where you see this so rapidly changing as as around this financial area? Yeah, I think autonomous devices have to be right up there. Uh, the, the, the edge of what's going to be possible with things that are increasingly smart and increasingly disconnected is going to just amaze us, and we're going to need new language to describe it. Think about remote robotic surgery. Don't just think about autonomous self-driving cars, but think about driverless ambulances or driverless mountain rescue or some sort of ability to detect threats at the, the nano level that that the, the, the possibilities are, are endless and all of these things are on the drawing board right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with with this, with all of this on the drawing board, I'm going to come back to the <clears> autonomous <throat> um, vehicles and, and gadgets in a, in a little while. And I want to just stay on on some of these new industries that are developing. But with these with this development, there and all this technology, there is also a lot of risk. Okay. Um, you know, and, and there's continuous concern about cybersecurity, especially in the fintech area. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. how do you how are we gonna deal with that and how are we dealing with that now? How are we going to deal with it? Probably poorly. Yeah. Uh, yes. How are we dealing with it now? Barely. Barely. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things changing. And first of all, this term cybersecurity is so broad, and it means so mm-hmm. many different things. It ranges from data breaches where people come in and take your data to ransomware to malware that damages your environment to uh, all kinds of industrial espionage and theft of intellectual property. All of that is somehow under this umbrella that we call cybersecurity. A lot of, if you just stick with malware for a minute, so code that was mm-hmm. written to do something bad to your environment, the state of the art until very recently for that was you, you have some large library of things that are known to be bad, and then you use methods of, of analyzing the things that come across your firewall to see if they look like something that has previously been known to be bad. But mm-hmm. malware now is starting to become more like the AIDS virus, where it, it changes itself every time it presents. So you can't just have a photograph of what it looked like or a fingerprint of what it looked like or a hash code of what it looked like because it changes all the time. So something that is recombinant and self-modifying, you need another technique. So now you have to look for it by looking at the symptoms that it creates. You have to look for coalescent behavior of code that appears to be 
I'm trying not to say antithetical to the environment, different from what the environment is, is intended to be used for in some way. That would be a really hard thing to do. Well, that's what malware detection is up to right now, is looking at the behavior of the code. What about code that lies dormant until it's triggered to do something bad? There's a lot of that around right now. So there you have to work from the premise that your environment already is infected. It just hasn't manifested itself yet. It's becoming a lot more like clinical observations of illness and then virus detection in a, in a, in a, a system way. Oh, that's, uh, really that's interesting a really interesting field, analogy. Wide open, right? wide open field, wide open. Right. I mean, because you, you, you're hearing about it. I, it seems like you're hearing about it. And here comes to asking the question and what's news and what's fake news. But you seem like it, it, it seems like it's more and more um, visible. Okay. And we're hearing more and more incidents of, of either data breaches, um, data misuse. Um, do you think it's, it, there are more, is it increasing as we, and uh, as we have more data or is it just that we're hearing about it more? Well, certainly the rising tide raises all the boats, right? So we have more mm-hmm. technology, we have more data, we have more code, therefore we have more bad things happening. That's, almost mm-hmm. a guarantee. Are we more aware of it? Yes. Are we more mm-hmm. aware of all of it? Absolutely not. So um, there's something called an observer effect in data science, in, in science in general, where the thing that you're trying to study changes because you're observing it. Well, unfortunately, if the bad guys think they're being watched, the first thing they do is they change their behavior. If right. you try to model how you've seen them behave badly, you're modeling how the best ones are no longer behaving. So, you know, what do you do with that? Well, you know, these are some very big questions. By the way, we, mm-hmm. we're focused on a lot of these questions in my group. So this is something we think about every day. Uh, you mm-hmm. talked earlier about anomaly detection. Anomaly detection is one of the techniques for addressing a problem like that, looking not for... Mm-hmm necessarily the things that are different, but the things that are differently different, if you will. So the, mm-hmm. you know, if you walked into a theater and somebody was talking loud and then somebody else was talking loud, they're both behaving differently, but in a sort of regularly different way. If someone started to sing opera, that would be unusual, and you might want to pay mm-hmm. more attention to that. Think of the mm-hmm. computer science equivalent of that. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And then, uh, Anthony, we add another layer onto it. Well, it's kind of a different... Um, issue and that's the issue of having all this data out there okay you know there's ways of trying to breach it and to get into it and at the same time we're, we're very concerned about data privacy and of course in in Europe the leaders with GDPR and now in the United States and California recently on data privacy but my question on data privacy, and we do a lot of work with it here in, in Brussels on the e-privacy legislation, and we did a lot of work on GDPR, is it, it's very look, it's forward-looking, okay? Um, but it's there's a lot of stuff out there already. And, you know, everybody in May last year went through this, this exercise of getting everybody's permission. But do you think you can really go backwards on that thing or is on – e-privacy or data, uh, GD, you know, data protection, um, or is it just a forward-looking issue? Well, I, I mean, certainly there are uh, data sets which are held in places where encrypted data is stored that has not been decrypted. What happens when mm-hmm. encryption 
decryption technology advances to the point where you can decrypt data and you realize you're holding data, which is now considered to be personally identifying private information subject mm-hmm. to current laws, which didn't exist at the time that you curated it. I mean, it there's all these, unfortunately, all these time-traveling circles of privacy that are have yet to be tested in the court. Um, mm-hmm. The reality is, you know, as human beings, we don't all want the same thing. The second generation of digital natives is now being born. There are digital natives being born to digital natives. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, a lot of those uh, more recently digitized others um, seem to want less privacy than those of us who are digital immigrants. Um, we want our devices to be personalized and to work, sort of almost read our minds, and at the same time we want privacy. Well, those are opposite things to want. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to think about Sometimes you get what you ask for. If you want your search engine to do a really good job when you type BR to decide that you're typing Brussels so that you don't have to spell Brussels, well, then something has to remember that you ask about Brussels a lot and not so much about beryllium. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I, know it's, I know that's not spelled BR, but <laughs> it's a, it's a um, I was thinking of the periodic table. The, the, um, you know, the, the weirdness of how things seem to work as we expect them to work, it's not so weird at all. It's lots of pieces of data being stored about our behavior, about our location, about our prior experiences, about our context, about our the content of what we do and say and speak. All of that is helpful when you want to personalize. It's also really scary when you compromise it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think I what the point you made and and we've seen that this in the EU, of course, you know the the legislation people making the legislation are are not really the digital natives today, and I, right. I even right. look at you know I mean uh, the the younger kids, you know, eight, seven, eight years old now. I mean, I by the time they get to our age, I don't even think they're going to even think about this. You know, I mean, pr- privacy probably is not even going to be in the foremost of their, their mind. But, of course, we've got a lot of baby boomers out there who say, oh, my gosh, I really don't want that data out there. But the minute you go I, into your device and you and I connect, yeah. then that data's there. <laughs> so, um, I, I think you're going to see more of a shift towards what, what, the, what our digital devices do with the data mm-hmm. and who benefits from the data versus who created the data. So what, yeah. what they call digital rights. Who, who, do you have the right to benefit from the benefit derived from the data you create? And can we control the behavior? Trying to control the the actual data, it's important, but it's a little bit like trying to control the oxygen molecules. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Now, digital rights, that's a really important point. Um, Anthony, we're going to take another short break now. And for our speakers, we are talking to Anthony Scrifaniano, and he's the Vice President Chief Data Scientist Dunham Bradstreet, and he's internationally recognized data scientist spanning 35 or having 35 years of experience in multiple industries and enterprises. And he was recently recognized as the U.S. Chief Data Officer of the Year 2018 by the CDO Club, the world's largest community of C-suite digital and data leaders. And he can be reached on LinkedIn under Anthony Scrifignano. And I'm going to spell that. It is S-C-R-I-F-F-I-G-N-A-N-O. And he's also under Twitter under 
Scrifignano One. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this episode is being brought to you by CINDA, the Search and Information Industry Association of Europe. And CINDA will be hosting its annual conference next week, April 10th to 12th at the Hilton Paddington in London, where Anthony will be speaking. So if you'd like to meet Anthony and hear him in the person, and then please go to www.cinda.com events for more information. Cinda is a nonprofit digital networking association. And with that, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to come back, Anthony, to this, these anonymous vehicles and things and talk a little bit more about, you know, AI and the connection between big data and AI. Okay. So with that, we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, and today we're speaking with Dr. Anthony Scrifignano, and he's the Senior Vice President, Chief Data Scientist at Dun & Bradstreet. He's an internationally recognized data scientist, and he was recently recognized as the U.S. Chief Data Officer of the Year 2018 by the CDO Club, the world's largest community of C-suite digital and data leaders. So, um, Anthony, we've been t- talking just... This has been really interesting, talking a lot about big data and and how we're going to handle that and how we're handling it now. But in that in the study that I talked about in the introduction, of course, there was a big correlation between big data and AI. So I'd, I'd like to talk about that and, and maybe the future of um, AI and maybe the misconceptions about it. So what do you think about the future sure, of AI? Uh, 
Well, I think it will have one. Uh, <laughs> so um, let's start with maybe a little definition of terms. So artificial intelligence is one of those things that it's neither artificial nor intelligent. Uh, this term was derived uh, many years ago, and it has sort of survived, and it is taken to mean a lot of things that it was never taken to mean when it was originally authored or when people started using that term. So in general, when you talk about artificial intelligence, uh, it used to be that we were talking about systems and processes that were designed to mimic human intent or behave rationally or serve humans or project human behavior. The word human came up a lot, and that's called anthropomorphization, taking human characteristics and applying them to machines. But then when you look at supervised machine learning, it's nothing like that. It's a bunch of mm -hmm. statistics. It's a bunch of methods that look at data and trying to find other data that's similar to some sort of regression. And that's not what we do as people when we look at flowers and say, is that flower pretty or is that a rose? Um, some would argue that we do at some level, and it's an interesting argument, but it's a much more complex thing when people do these sorts of things. So artificial intelligence not so much intelligent. Uh, some of the newer methods that are available today, the so-called neuromorphic methods, the methods that think the way we think we think, are very interesting. Some of the ensemble methods where lots of different techniques compete to find the best answer, very interesting. So we're, we're getting there. We're, we're on a journey. Right now, the reason you're hearing about it a lot more than you did, say, 10 or 15 years ago, is we finally reached a tipping point where we have enough data to do some of the things that were conceived of decades ago. Mm -hmm. And so you have machine learning, which is really data to data. And then, and then we have what, you know, teaching machines to think like us. And so I want to stay in that for a minute or think to think. Um, is there any dangers in that? I mean, we all have biases. And, and as we start to, to enter this field, are we bringing our biases with us, um, or you know, is that is that dangerous when we're doing this? There's always going to be bias. If you try to re mm -hmm. remove bias, you will replace it with some other bias. So mm -hmm. uh, there's certain types of bias that you can eliminate because it's just wrong. It's just noise in the data, or it's mm -hmm. data that's been corrupted in some way. But putting that aside, it's better to generally understand what the bias is and how it would affect the decision you're trying to make than it is to try to gerrymander the bias out of what you're doing because you just wind up replacing it with something else. There are people mm -hmm. who would argue with what I just said, and there are certainly exceptions where that's not true at all. Uh, a recent example comes to mind where there were some researchers trying to use lots and lots of data from the past to learn how to best make parole decisions. So they looked at all the data that was discoverable and the recidivism rates and the, the, the people that were not given parole and, and so forth, and they, they reached some performance levels that were thought to be very interesting until they looked at the highly correlated variables, and they're all the things you're not allowed to use to make that decision, like race <laughs> and religion and, and, and so mm -hmm. forth. So, and then when you take those things out, it becomes chaotic again because it's an inherently chaotic decision that you're trying to make. So, you know, machine learning means a lot of different things. Uh, there are supervised methods, which essentially are looking at the past and projecting it into the future, uh, looking for examples of things that you've, you've given the machine examples, and then it will go find more. Unsupervised methods uh, largely around classifying things, putting them into buckets of similarity, if you will, without some prior example. And then there's the reinforcement methods where they sort of 
compete with each other or they try to give you better advice that you're more likely to take. There's different flavors of machine learning, and there's no learning in any of it, but there's regression, there's there's synthesis of data, and it can be incredibly valuable for finding tumors on x-rays, for finding, you know, clear air turbulence, for finding things that are really hard to do today. I Please get better at that. But please don't mm-hmm. try to use machine learning to tell me whether or not you like this podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. And and when we talk about when we talk about this, and I want to come back to what you said in the last segment um, on autonomous vehicles and then the Internet of Things, because basically all those things are are run with with data, and and they are kind of what I would consider as a non-data science as a form of AI. Okay, and what do you see? You said you see this as like the next wave and the next generation of really change and possibilities. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think that we're finally getting to the point where at the edge uh, where the action is happening, there can be enough compute power and enough data to do things meaningful without having to check back with the mothership. And I think that will start to change lots of things that we do every day. And we're seeing it little by little. You're not going to wake up one day and somebody's going to push the big AI button and all of a sudden everything becomes AI enabled. But think about the car that can now tell you when you're drifting out of the lane. I couldn't do that. I mean, a car that's 10 years old, 5 years old can't do that. Think mm-hmm. about a uh, an auto flight system in an airplane that can actually land the plane without assistance. Now, that sort of technology has been around for quite some time, but the limitations on when it can be used are slowly getting chipped away. So does that mean we're never going to have a pilot in the cockpit or we're never going to have a driver in the car? Probably not for a long time, Uh, but it it does mean that we can devote the attention of those very skilled human beings to things that really require their attention instead of driving down a boring highway that doesn't change for three hours. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about the the effect that this is going to have? Okay, if it's changing little by little, then then it's we're not going to wake up tomorrow with no jobs. But I mean, that's one of the things that that you 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 know read in read in the press all the time. Oh my gosh, you know all these autonomous vehicles, these you know the Internet of Things are going to do away with jobs. And what are we going to do? Do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, our jobs will go away, and new jobs will be created. And I don't mean to be Mm -hmm. unsympathetic to anyone that loses their job. I I will never report to a robot, but Outlook tells me to go to a meeting, and I go. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there there is an element of change to everything we do already. I I live my life inundated with people trying to communicate in some way. Email, voicemail, uh, digital devices. When I started working, we had memos. <laughs> you mm-hmm. sent each yeah. other notes in the mail. So we've already been disrupted, and we've been disrupted in, in ways. There used to be human calculators. The job was called a calculator, and it was a person who sat in a room and added up numbers and did math all day. Those people are out of work today. Uh, mm-hmm. At the same time, we have people now who categorize data for machine learning algorithms. We have people who write those algorithms. We have people who train um, uh, capabilities. We have uh, people who are designing autonomous vehicles. And then the argument that typically gets made is, uh, what about the unskilled worker? What about the person who Mm -hmm. just moves things or does very little? Um, That argument was made during the Industrial Revolution. And I'm pretty sure that the data shows that the, the, the calamity of everyone being out of work because of the invention of the steam engine didn't happen, that new capabilities came along. Certain 
individuals and certain jobs, if we don't focus on that, that marginalized part of society can wind up completely disenfranchised. But because we're aware of this risk, we have the opportunity to focus on it and, and, make, and sort of make new mistakes, not let that sort of thing happen, or at least minimize the impact of it. But yet there's going to be change. And there's, it, it's not a question of whether we do it or don't do it. We don't get to opt in. This change is happening to society. Mm-hmm. So the best thing to do is to be very thoughtful about that and not just let it happen. Mm-hmm. With all this, with all this rapid change, and of course, as you said, you know, it's you know it's all around us. So it is a little scary. Do, do you think that there there should be any kind of controls, you know, governmental controls, regulatory controls uh, on this, or should we just kind of ride the wave and and see where we land? Well, you know, I'm a scuba diver, and when you scuba dive, there's a thing called a regulator that keeps the the thousands of pounds of pressure in the tank from blowing your lungs up. So a regulation is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> um, on the other hand, if we try to over-regulate, we can force sort of really strange things to happen. If you lock down all the data and say it can never move out of here and out of there, then it's very hard to collaborate between over here and over there. If you try to uh, say that all technology has to be open, well, then there's no, that's the innovator problem. Like, why would I innovate if the minute I create something, everyone else gets it for free? So, you know, I think we have to be a little smarter about There's no, nothing that starts with why don't we just. And yet a lot mm-hmm. of these conversations start there. You know, we don't, mm-hmm. do we need an AI regulation that looks like GDPR? Probably not. We probably need something more thoughtful, and maybe we ought to start with defining AI before we start regulating it. So, you know, I think the regulators, the good news is the regulators around the world are very aware of this dilemma, and they're not rushing to just write something and figure out if it works, and they're not just saying, we'll wait till we see what problems emerge, and then we'll deal with those. They're somewhere in between, and that's probably right where they should be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Anthony, we're getting we're getting towards the end of our show here, and so, I mean, this this stuff is just this is so fascinating. Okay, um, and we're, it's just affecting us all, whether you're big business, small business, private people. And I just like to ha- end with maybe one thought from you to businesses out there, okay, who are dealing with this change. I mean, one suggestion and how best to, you know, cope with it and, and grasp the change. Any ideas? So, I, yeah, there, there's always got to be three. So I know you asked me for mm-hmm, one, but right. I'll give you a three-part answer. Uh, the first part, I would say, is be humble. There's no quick answer to a lot of these uh, disruptive factors in industry. And if you're looking for one, it's probably not the big a problem. So you really do need to, to be aware that the first answer may not be the best answer to really make sure to challenge the method that you're presuming and the, the data that you're intending to use. And don't just rush right to developing a product because you're probably going to find it being used in ways you didn't intend or, or serve the wrong people or underserve the right people. The second thing I would say is collaboration is everything these days. It's mm-hmm. impossible to know everything that's going on right now. The amount of technology disruption is so great that if we just try to do everything within one silo, we are we are clearly going to fail in some way and probably very epically and very globally. And then the third thing I would say is that it's very often the focus is on who do we hire, what talent do we bring in. Oh, you got to look within and without. I always tell people that uh, my philosophy is to teach and learn every day. If you're 
only teaching, you're probably becoming slowly irrelevant. If you're only learning, you're probably being selfish. So, you know, yeah, hire those really smart people, but bring them in and teach them something and learn from them. And, you know, be more inclusive of the existing workforce, the people you're bringing in. It's a constant reinvention for everyone. Great tips and a great note to end on. And I'd like to thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. And for our listeners, we have been talking to Dr. Anthony Scrifignano, the Senior Vice President and Chief Data Scientist at Dun & Bradstreet. He's internationally recognized and has experience spanning 35 years. He was also, just recently in 2018, He was recognized as the U.S. Chief Data Officer of the Year 2018 by the CDO Club, the world's largest community of C-suite digital and data leaders. And if you want to reach out to Anthony, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn under Anthony Scrifignano, and that is C, oh, excuse me, that is S-C-R-I-F-F-I-G-N-A-N-O. And on Twitter, it's under Scrifignano1. And once again, I'll spell it again. That is S-C-R-I-F-F-I-G-N-A-N-O. And also, Anthony is going to be speaking at CINDA, which is the Search and Information Industry of Europe's conference, April 10th to 12th in London. So if you'd like to meet with him in person, please do. So, Anthony, once again, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you in London in two weeks. Thank you very much. Likewise. Okay. And we have been listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. And we are also sponsored by... Global Business Therapy and the Women's Leadership Academy 2020, which specializes in diversity and C-level development for women. You can contact me, your host, Kimberly Lewis, on leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. And you can go to see my website under leadershipbeyondborders.net. And please tune in to us each week. Download us on iTunes, Google, and Stitcher. And listen to us on Tuesdays, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. And until next week, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.